Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you doing today? Awesome. Hey, uh, just a warning. Whatever I said last service, I have no idea, so you might need to go. Today could be completely different. I kind of went off script, and sometimes that happens. But we're going to start today with the Apostle Paul and his writing in second, uh, Philippians chapter 2. And in chapter 1, he says, there's going to be a day that, there's gonna be a, that you're going to be completed. And that day is when you meet your maker and you go to heaven. But until you get there, I want to do something with you. And here's the challenge. Do the work. Do the work. We can't continue to come to church and not do the work that God is calling us to do, to refine us and build us up and do the work that he wants. And I'm not talking about serving in kids. You don't want to serve in kids, praise God. Do the work on yourself. If you don't want to go and do something and set up and tear down, that's fine. But do the work that you're called to do so that you can be restored and whole in the way that Christ has you. Philippians chapter 2 is an encouragement for you to live as Christians. So if you're able to stand, let's stand and read. And listen, last week at the beginning, I was kind of shouting, do you understand how to be restored in Christ? Do you understand that Christ still does miracles and still changes and challenges us and grows us? And if you don't, it's because you're not doing the work. Today we stand and we're going to read Philippians chapter 2 at the beginning. The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that he planted He's in a tough spot in his own life, but he's still doing the work and not giving up. Philippians chapter 2, listen to these questions. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Yeah, there is. Any comfort in his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Now these are rhetorical questions. But really, you have to answer the question correctly. Is there any encouragement in your relationship with God? If not, what are you doing here? If you don't have encouragement in Christ, you're in the wrong place. What about comfort in his love? God's love is comforting, even in tough times. And there's many in this room that are going through tough times. Do you have any fellowship? If not, you're in the wrong spot. The Apostle Paul writes, then if you do have these, if you can answer yes to all of these, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Listen, the church generally likes to work in 17 different directions, working against each other. And the Apostle Paul is saying, church, we need to come together, agreeing together, being fellowship in the spirit together, loving one another and having a single-minded purpose. And today, that purpose is restoration. Going from something that was to something that he wants to do and something that you're supposed to be, a son of the Most High God. And as a woman, that should be encouraging because you're getting that sonship right that the first son should have. Today, we're going to receive that. Now, our church is divided into three sections. This is Team Salvation. They're starting to catch up, you guys. This is Team Revelation, where my family sits. Unfortunately, I don't sit with my family. I sit in Team Transformation over here, because that's what I'm about. 
Now, if you're new here, we divided the church up at the beginning of January so that these people would pray for salvation and the people's life in Christ, their salvation would grow. These people are praying that God will speak to their heart and we will hear his voice and move. And these people are praying for all of us that need to be transformed and renewed in the image of God. So as we pray today, just know that people are praying for you when we're praying collectively so that the church will have an impact in this world. So let's just open up our hearts and let's be willing. God's saying do something to some of you today. All of you need to do something. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Challenge, challenge us today, Father. Speak boldly to my heart. Use these words, Lord, to magnify you. Your will be done, Father. I pray that salvations will grow and people will come forward. I pray that transformation will happen. I pray that at the beach, you will be cheering and celebrating for those that put themselves under for Jesus Christ. Lord, we offer this time and ask for you to work in the name above names, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well, welcome. If you're new here, I'm shouting at you, and it's pretty regular. I'm also a crier, and hopefully I'm not going to do that today. But God is going to do something within us today, and I'm thankful that you're here. Now, last week, we were doing a three-part series called Restoration, and we had a Volkswagen out there. And last week's message really works with this week's message, as well as next week we're going to talk about it. They all work together. If you missed it, go to the website, listen to it. It will really work for you to understand what restoration looks like. Restoration is a process of going from something that you don't like or something that's broke down or needs something into a place that's fully restored. Next week when you come up, we'll have a fully restored car out there and everybody will be able to test drive it. Right. These cars never drive. But that's what we want to do is we want to bring people into restoration. The church needs to understand restoration. And we think, kind of think it's this outside Pentecostal thing. And the truth is, if you're like me, I want to be restored from sin into the holy throne room of Christ. I don't want to uh, go along life pinging off the walls, not understanding what God wants for me. And I want to be restored to wholeness and completeness. And that's what Paul's writing. In chapter 1 of Philippians, he's like... This is the joy chapter, and he says, if you want to have joy, do the work. If you want a cheeseburger and you're like, oh, in and out is sounding so good, but you're not willing to go, how are you going to get it? Maybe you got a good friend that's going to drop it off, but the truth is, you got to go get the cheeseburger. And if you don't have the money, go get the job to get the cheeseburger and watch God work that out. We got to do the work so that God will do the work in us. Does that make sense? So today, the concept of today's message is working on yourself. So if you want to leave, I'll turn for a second. It's nice seeing you. But the real idea is working on yourself. Now, I was listening to Air One. It's that Christian radio station. And uh, on, I think it was on Wednesday or Thursday, this lady was talking about dirt. And she said, do you know that dirt is good for our kids? And, the, I, and I looked at this, and I'm like, come on. Dirt? Our, our kids today, the millennial kids, haven't touched the ground until they were like 12. How could they even know that dirt was? But here's what it said about dirt. I looked up to the article, and the article said there was, a kid, uh, there was a man that was getting ready to have his second child. They had like a two-year-old, and he was starting to play in dirt. And the guy was a microbiologist, and he says, what are the organisms in the dirt going to do to my kid? And so he started studying and looking, and he found out the kids that actually play in dirt have a better immune system than those who don't. 
Exactly. So put your kid down. It's going to be okay. If they're licking the floor, we got a stain from coffee over here. It'll be fine. The point is this. Dirt is good for kids. Our sin and dirt, turning into our dirty lives and look at the inward dirty stuff is good for us to work on so that we can truly get healthy with God. A lot of us are like, I'm so afraid of sin, I don't want to talk about it. I fall to it every week, but I don't want to talk about it and I want to address it. But here's what we're trying to do. Address it and get into the, dirt, the dirty, nitty-gritty of our life so that we can be whole and complete. When we do that, Great things happen. Great things can happen, and that's what we want as Christians. You know, our church has uh, been on mission for over seven years now of loving the world one person at a time, and it sounds like a cheesy Toyota commercial, but truly it's the essence of who we are. And if you really think about it, my buddy Ron, who was in the first service, said, when I first heard the mission statement of Journey, loving the world one person at a time, it was totally cheesy. And I didn't get it, and now he's like, it's super profound, because this world desperately needs love. Now, I bring this up, and we try and speak about it a lot, but one of my dear friends, uh, my friend Bree's dad, and uh, brother Lowell, his son passed away yesterday. And he was the essence of loving the world. He was this big teddy bear of a man that loved people. He was kind of the midnight mayor in this town. We got Andy the mayor, but he was actually the midnight mayor. He knew everybody. And he lived this mission out. So I'm just, I'm bringing it up so you'll pray for Bree, you'll pray for Lowell, pray for Helen and the family as we go through this time with our family, because we are a church family. And we're going to pray for them, and we're going to walk through this. And I know Marlon's celebrating up there in heaven with his brother Steve, and they're getting ready for some football. So just think about them during the week as they go through. It's a hard time. All right, I'm going to transition yeah, uh, any kids in here today? I see a couple of my friends. You guys want to come up and say something? No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, I want to, there's one. Yeah, he's actually, here's the thing. I want to speak to the kids first. So if, you, if you're over 30 or 25, turn your head off. I know you all think you're young. I know I do too. And my girls go, no, you're old. So don't worry about it. I realize it. But I want to talk to the kids first. Under 25, I want you to hear this message. Today we're talking about working on ourselves, and from some old guy that's standing up here that's gone through a lot of stuff, I was going to say crap, but you can't say that in church, that's gone through a lot of stuff, work on yourself now so that when you get older, you won't have to deal with some of the crap that we have in our life. When you get to be 35 or 45 or 55, it's so hard to deal with. Deal with it at 25 or 20 or 15 and let it become part of who you are. Because once you understand the restoration process, you will be able to do it for the rest of your life. You'll go, I've done this when I was 15, so when I'm 25, it's not that big a deal. Because we're constantly restoring ourselves to the image of Christ. And that's what we want. So kids, do it today. Don't wait. Now, the Apostle Paul is about raising up leaders. This church wants to raise up leaders. We're raising up pastors and leaders so that we can go into the world and be effective. Now, what happens is when we raise up leaders, sometimes they get up and lead and go somewhere else, which is good. That's what we want. We shouldn't hold them down. But the Apostle Paul is writing to the leaders, uh, and, and one of his leaders was named Timothy. In the book of Timothy, he's telling this one guy, it's good to work out your godliness. But in our society, 
We like to work out other things. But here's what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. After he says, it's good to work out your godliness, for bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds the promise of the present life and also the life to come. Now, I take this verse very seriously. I stopped working out on myself many years ago to get like this. <laughs> but my godliness is so good, it's unbelievable. Right. Does it say not to work out? No. It says keep working out, but listen, if you're spending 10 or 15 or 20 hours a week to look like this every week, and you're not spending enough time in your God muscle, building it up, what are you doing? How ridiculous is that? It's not profitable. At one point, you're going to meet your maker, and he's like, man, you look good at 70 or 80. You're buffed. I'm giving you a new body. What do you care? Your God muscle is weak because you haven't worked it out in months or years or decades. It's good to have a good body. Californian shorts and outdoor living and barbecues and hikes and beach baptism. But work on your godly muscle, it's profitable. And when you get into heaven, when you get to that throne room, he's going to be, well done, my good and faithful, buff, God muscle type of person. The person next to you is weak. That's what God wants to do is work on our godly muscle. Listen to what Colin Powell writes about the, the success. Listen, there's not going to be anything new that you've ever heard here today. So if you're here looking for some uh, dynamic, amazing word that comes from Paul or from the Holy Spirit, it's going to be very simple. The point is that you got to listen to it and activate it and go do something. And here's what Colin Powell says. There's no secrets to success. It's the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from your failures, learning from the dirt and grime that's happened in your life. And if you're willing to get back into it, it will help you. It will make you stronger. And allow you to give something away. I have a bunch of people going, man, I want to be in ministry. I want to do all this stuff. I'm saying, awesome. What are you going to give away? Well, you know, I, I'm not really working on myself. And I'm like, once you work on yourself, come back and we'll put you in the ministry. Because you have to have something to give away. You have to give away something. Jesus is a good start, but they want to see, has he touched you and has he healed you? Or why are you still acting like that? Colin Powell says it's about preparation, it's about hard work, and it's about learning from your failures. Failures is how we grow. That's what God wants to do. First Peter is a general letter to all the churches, and the God of grace, this is our memory verse, the God of grace speaks to us about restoration. He says, and the God of grace, of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. The restoration process of Jesus Christ, God's plan through the Holy Spirit, is at one point in your life, you're going to have an epiphany, a revelation, a mindset that says, oh, Christ is for me, and I'm going to work on myself. And in that, he's going to restore me after I've suffered for a little while. Have you suffered enough yet? question that you've got to answer or are you going to continue on in the path of continually just sitting back doing nothing 
Is there any comfort in belonging to Christ? Any comfort in his love? Is there anything that you have in your relationship with Jesus? If yes, then it's time for the restoration process. Now today I want to use the image of a Duncan Hines cake box. Duncan Hines is by far the best cake, by the way. But here's the thing. I am a terrible banker. I'm not a baker at all. I can't make it. I love to cook. I love to whip up some good stuff, but when I bake, it's terrible. But here's the product description of what Duncan Hines' website says about this cake. It says, deliciously moist cake mix. The Duncan Hines promise, and when it says that, I'm thinking, okay, what's the promise here? This could be good. The best cakes begin with the best batter. Yeah. Duncan Hines promises a smooth, velvety batter for a perfect cake every time. That's not necessarily true. Because I bake, and I'm terrible, and it doesn't come out like that. When I was in college, I think I put the box in. <laughs> and it put all the fire alarms on. If you don't follow the process, this cake will taste like bad stuff. I was going to say something else, but fortunately, I have a little bit of... No, I don't. Anyways... <laughs> If you don't follow the process of this cake mix, it doesn't matter what you do. It's still not going to come out velvety and beautiful and smooth and moist. Listen, let's look at the process. First of all, if you look back on the, the, the thing, the picture here, is the first thing you need to do is preheat. If you don't preheat, how's the cake going to work? If you put the cake in instantly, and I found this out, the preheat doesn't work because you're, over, you're undercooking it. And the time is going to be off. So the first thing you need to do is preheat. The second thing, grease. The third thing, blend. The fourth thing, beat. The fifth thing, pour. Sixth, bake. And the seventh, cool. Do you have that slide up, Millie? So they can see what I'm talking about, make sure I'm not lying. So here's the process. Now, what happens if you just put the cake in at preheat? It's not going to come out correct. It's going to be undercooked in some areas. How about if you don't blend? Have you ever put a cake in and not blend it? You have like a fried egg that sits on top. It's not velvety and it's kind of disgusting. Who wants an egg in your cake? The point is this. If you don't beat and if you pour, it, what happens if you don't pour it out but you leave it in the plastic bowl and then put it in? Not good. Tried that in Chico. Didn't work very well. Here's the last part. Some of these things are kind of fun. Well, if you don't put grease in, they're going to stick to the pan. But what happens if you just don't bake it? Yeah, you got cake batter, but you really don't have the fluffy, moist, beautiful stuff that comes out where you put that cheesecake stuff on top. Man, that's money. If you don't follow the process, the Duncan Hines promise really doesn't make it. Well, what's God's promise? What's God and how does he promise and what does he work in our lives? The restoration end goal is this. I'm a sinner, I'm self-centered, and I'm self-satisfying, and I'm self-righteous. Me, myself, and I, I need everything, and I need Lamborghinis and big houses. And then the process, the end game is, I go through the results, and on this side, I'm actually selfless, I'm Christ-like, and I'm spirit-driven by the Holy Spirit, not the evil stuff inside of me. That's the end game. The cake, after doing the process correctly and having someone that knows what they're doing, comes out nice and fluffy and beautiful. And then you let it cool. I like to eat it instantly. It's not good. Burns the roof of your mouth. The process is important, and here's our process today. 
Last week, we talked about honesty being the beginning of restoration. You've got to get honest with yourself. I have a problem. I have an issue. It needs to be restored. Restored. That's what I'm talking about. Then you need to turn it over, become powerless, and realize I can't do it on myself. I need other people, and I need Christ in me to do the work. And today, we're going to talk about humility. Nothing new, not rocket science, but really humility, and then prayer and amends. And all of these are powered by the Holy Spirit. But we need to understand what God has for us. Now, in the Bible, if you go to your Bible in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, they should be underlined and highlighted because this is called the 2-3 rule or the 2-3-4 rule, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. And if you can work on yourself and make this part of your life, I guarantee you, you will start being transformed and you will become a different person. Here's what it says. It says, don't be selfish, don't try and impress others, impress others, but be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. You were down here, and everybody else is up here. Even if it's 49, 51, because you don't like the person, everybody else is above you. If you can make that part of your life, you will have a place in the uh, restoration process. What happens is we are up here, and everybody else is a bunch of peons like all of you. Why is it that the pastor's always this high? So you can see me, basically, that's it. Not because I'm up here, trust me, I'm a sinner like everybody else. And I need God just as much. And you should be praying for your pastors to make sure that God always does good things in them and protects them and keeps them home. It's important. The rule says, don't be selfish, don't try and impress, and be humble. Truly be humble. And then it says in verse 4, don't look out for your own interest, but take interest in other people. People are annoying, but we're supposed to take interest in them. That's what humbleness is. Humility is saying, I'm going to look at you like you're the most important person in this earth. I learned this lesson the hard way, and I'll tell you a story. Several years ago, about 16 years ago, I was locked up, and I was going through some stuff, and I know I don't ever tell my whole testimony, but it is online, I think from 2011. You can find it in the messages, but I'd made a bunch of mistakes, and I was locked up, and while I was in jail, I happened to get in more trouble, and I got rearrested and had to go to what we call the Thunderdome. It was actually an M5 unit for like 65 guys, and they were all the knuckleheads, but they called it the Thunderdome because there was a bunch of testosterone and a bunch of attitudes, right? So I got put in there, and we all thought we were really cool because we're in this place, right? One day, a correctional officer walked in because there was a bunch of people walking around like they were really angry and they were tough. And the guy came in and says, you know, everybody in this dorm, the Thunderdome, aren't, aren't important to the world at all. You guys are nobodies. If you were really important, you would be in the main facility with the cameras on you. And you'd have chains and you'd be by yourself in isolation. You guys aren't that important. That hurt my feelings. Like, are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? But the point is, I learned a lesson that day because I started to read the Bible and I realized I need to make sure that I'm just part of the plan and I'm not the whole plan, that I'm one piece of the puzzle. When I got out, one of the first things I wanted to do was run at the beach. And I remember going to California Street, getting out of the road, and I had some shorts on and my red tennis shoes, and I just started running in the beach. And about 50 feet into it, I'm like, wow, this is hard. It wasn't as fun as what I was thinking about when I was locked up. I was like... This is dumb. 
So I, <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was a bad idea. Uh, but I finally get back to my car, and I got these red shoes, and I pull my shoes off, and I'm dumping the sand out, right? And I got some sand in my hand, and God says, Jeff, you're just one grain of sand in the beach of life. You're just one grain. Think of yourself like that, and everybody else is above you, and you will enjoy a life of completeness. That's what he wants us to understand. This is the rule. Don't be selfish. Don't try and impress. Think of others and yourself. Be humble, and you will understand how to work on yourself. Most of us need to start right there and really allow God to work. The apostle Paul was in a great agony and suffering. He was actually writing this letter from a prison cell. And he was writing it, and he was finding contentment and joy. The book of Philippians, depending on your translation, has joy 13 to 16 times because joy is the completion of who you are in Christ. Even if your life is a disaster, he wants you to find joy. The apostle Paul is in a place of suffering, and he's in agony, but he's still working on himself. That's the image that we need to have as Christians. We're all struggling. Our mindset is, oh, once I get the right job and I meet the right man or woman or once I get the right house or I get the cool pair of pants with holes in it that let me make me look awesome, then I'll start working on myself. It never happens. I never get to that point. Work on yourself no matter where you're at and be humble and watch your life explode for Jesus Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul, when you open up your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 12 is set apart. It's a different typeset. It's completely different because the Apostle Paul does an inventory of who Jesus is to you and I. Listen to who Jesus is. This is his inventory. This is how he is to us as mankind. It says, you must have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. And here's his attitude. Here's his mindset. It says, though he was God, he did not, think of e did not think of equally with God as something to cling to. He was God, but he said, ah, I'm not going to do that. It's like you having a superpower and saying, I'm not going to live in my superpower. I'm going to deny that right now. Right, nobody's going to do that. We're going to use our superpower and save the world, right? God said, I'm going to not do that. I'm not going to cling to it. I'm going to show my power but the way that a human can experience my power. The second and seven, it says, instead, he gave up his divine privilege and took a humble position. A divine privilege and took a humble position as what? A slave. Most of us don't want to even think about what that says, but that's who Christ was. This is who he is to you and I. He's taken a position of a slave, was born a human being, and appeared in human form. That means he didn't have to come in the same way that he came. There will be a time when it says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and he's going to show up and everybody in the world is going to see him. He's going to come in a different form the next time. He didn't have to come, but this is how he chose. He chose to come as a lowly human being. That's who he is. And then it says in verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Once again, here it comes. Humility, be obedient, do what I'm asking you to do, and the work will be God's glory. And that's what happened. He was obedient and obedient to death. Died a criminal's death. Died in the electric chair. And all of us would have electric chairs if it was today, hanging around our neck. That's what the cross means. 
He was obedient to death. And because of that, it says, therefore, everything that was written prior, all the inventory of who Jesus was, is now, because he did that, God elevated him to a place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, amen. That's who Christ is. And the beautiful thing is God says, I'm going to bring you up, Jesus, and I'm going to put you at the right hand of me, and you are going to be glorified. And those that follow into Jesus' plan and do the same process of believing and following and become a disciple also get to be put at the right side of God in Christ. But most of us are going to get up there with weak God muscles. We're going to be weak because we're not willing to do the work. We're sitting at church and saying, yes, this is good. I love it. I'm crying. I even put up my hand and somebody almost saw me. (laughs) Better put it here. The truth is this. If all you're doing is Sunday morning church and that's your only devotion, you're on life support. If all you're doing is Sunday morning church or even adding Wednesday, Jeff, I go to Wednesday, you're near borderline death. Because God is a 24-7 God. He's working for you all the time. He never gives up. He never stops. He's good. He's doing all these things. And you are giving him an hour a week. Something's off. But your body, man, you look great. Good job. We have to work on ourselves. I'm not getting paid any extra to tell you this. Actually, I'm probably going to get fired, probably. doesn't grow a church to stand up here and tell people you've got to do something. If you want a cheeseburger, you've got to do something. And if you want restoration, you've got to do your part. Christ did. You just saw his inventory. He did his part. Our job is to respond to that. That's what God wants to do. I'm going to change it up here for a second. At the beginning of the message, I was supposed to talk about Paul Goodell. Did I do that? My buddy Paul, last week at the end of first service, came up and he made this post about three hours after church. Just look at the top before you read it. It says, Paul Goodell, feeling concerned. And he gave the church a prophetic word. And here's what he said. He said, today at church, not a lot of people went to get prayer. Why is that? All people sin and have some sort of garbage in their life. Give it to the Lord, it helps. And he stamps it, I know for a fact, because he's in it. God bless you. Last week, we had a couple hundred people stand up at the end of service and say, I want to be restored, Jesus. And in the second service, two people came up for prayer. First service, we had 15. It's because we're not doing the work. Well, somebody might see me. Prayer is good. You want to come pray for me? I'll be up here after service and everybody pray for me. I need prayer. Nobody came up in first service, our second service. Two people. And you know who one of them was? Paul came up for the second time because he came up on first service. So really it was one person that Ed LaBelle prayed for. We're not doing our job. I'm over here weeping 
Because I know that God has to do some work in this room, and it has nothing to do with me, and it has all, everything to do with all of us together coming together and not being ashamed that I got issues. And I got problems, and I need Christ to work it out. And I need restoration, even though I look really good with these holy jeans. We all have our stuff, and God wants to work it out. Mark, Mark Twain writes about this example. You know, we all have good examples. You've got that annoying sister or brother or aunt and uncle or mom or dad that's just super annoying, and they're this example. But here's Mark Twain that writes about this example. He says, few things are harder to put up with, with the, than the annoyance of a good example. When you think about Christ, everybody's like, oh, yeah, Christ is my example, but I will never, ever live up to it. It's, he's God. I can never do what God wants me to do. He's God. I can't do it. It's too annoying. Jeff, why are you even communicating that? Well, here's the thing. God came in in human form and showed us how to do it in a human way. And then he left us the Holy Spirit so that we can grow. Yes, you are saying it's annoying because you can't achieve what Christ did, but you can. And let me show you how. It's hard to accomplish what these great people in our life achieve. It's hard to accomplish what a gold medalist did or a Pulitzer Prize winner is or someone that's done great things, a CEO or whoever's done great things. It's hard to accomplish what they've accomplished. They've given up a lot of stuff and they did a lot of work to get to that level. And we admire them, but admiration can only inspire us, but it can't empower us. When you look to someone and say, man, that person is awesome, They're an, I, I admire them, all they can do is admire, you really can't inspire. The only way that that person could ever empower you and change you is if they went inside of you and started doing the work for you. Who does that sound like? That's what Christ did. He came and the world says he's a great teacher, he's a great prophet, he did great and crazy and amazing miracles, but he also said, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to leave you with a gift, a gift of an everlasting counselor, a mighty fortress that's going to come inside of you that will restore you and it will be able to do the stuff inside of you that you can't do with yourself. One of the sayings in recovery is God's doing for me what I can't do for myself. Most of us won't do the work because we can't do it, but if you're open and honest and willing, God will do great work inside of you. You've got to be willing. You've got to let God work. And when we do, we get to shine bright. If you kind of broke down this chapter in Philippians chapter 2, here's what it would be. The purpose is to achieve. The purpose is to receive a power outside of yourself. And it's a promise to believe. And that promise to believe is that you will have joy in your relationship and the restoration process with God. If you're willing to do the work, you will find joy that comes in the morning. It's hard to do, but I know it can be done. And I don't stand up here ever banging on my chest and what God's done in my life because truthfully, I've got so much work to do. Ask my wife, my kids, my girls, I'll give you a whole list of stuff that I got to work on from yesterday. Verse 12 says, dear friends, you should always follow my instructions. Dear friends, you always, sorry, followed my instructions when I was with you. The Apostle Paul is writing, when I was with you, when I'm up in front of you, church, you guys are such good Christians. Man, it's amazing how you follow Christ sitting on your duff. That means but for some of you. 
And now that I'm away, the Apostle Paul says, it's even more important that you follow. When you leave here, it's even more important that you follow the message of Christ. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Does anybody in your neighborhood know that you're a Christian? That journey sticker might be a little indication, but if not, they should know it by the way that you live your life and how you treat your family. Obey God with deep reverence and fear here and out there. Here's where we get the strength and the courage and the willingness to go out. Out there is where we try and grow with God and do the work of loving the world one person at a time, working on yourself. Last week's message, there was nine disciples that didn't make it to the mountain to see the transfiguration. And what happened was the nine disciples got discontent. They, they got di uh, unfocused with Christ. They were angry. How come I'm not up there with Peter, James, and, and John? And by the time Jesus came back, they were unprepared to heal a demon boy. Our church, the church, all across the world, we're helping people get unprepared. And today, we're making a stand to be prepared for Jesus Christ. For it is God who's working in you to give you the desires and the power to do what pleases Him. What pleases Him, not you. What pleases you got you into the mess. What pleases Him restores you for His, for his, for his honor and glory. Probably the harshest words come in the next verse. Do everything without complaining and arguing. If you are saying you're a Christian and all you're doing is whining and complaining, the worship's too loud. The worship's not my favorite song. The, the message is too stupid. The guy's yelling at me. He's not yelling at me. Whatever you're doing and you're complaining, I don't want to clean my bedroom. You sound like my 13-year-old. Is she in here? Oh, good. You sound like my 13-year-old. Grow up. Grow up and work on yourself. Be humble, treating everybody better than yourself. Do everything without complaining, it says, so that no one can criticize you, because then you'll be a testimony of who Jesus is. Live a clean, innocent life as, Christian, uh, as children of God, shining, this bright, shining like bright lights in the world of crooked and perverse people. Christians are to go outside this room and go into the topper's line and look different than this world, even though you look the same. We're to go out into the world and have an attitude and an active mindset that's different from this crooked and perverse world. And if you don't, you're not doing the work and you're doing just the opposite. You're living an antichrist lifestyle. Paul wants you to live in joy. Who doesn't? I do. I'm up here shouting because I want you to work on yourself so that you will have joy that comes into the morning and joy that comes through the restoration process is by you first being honest, being powerlessness, and actually being humble and doing the work. That's what God wants. And then continually humbling yourself, taking an inventory, giving out some amends if you need to make some amends. Get rid of your defects and watch God work. There's a cute saying in the world. 
It's not about the destination. It's the journey. It's cute, but it's true. When I graduated high school, my life didn't change. Got worse. I graduated college. My life didn't change. Got worse. Had a, my first child. My life changed and didn't get worse, but it was hard. It's not about the destination. It's as you're going along life, as you're the apostle Paul and you're in prison, you're on this process. And through the journey and through the work and through your willingness to get into the grime and, and, and mess of life and work on yourself, yet your journey will be an offering to God and there will be joy in this place. Do you believe that today? You know, we're about ready to sing some songs. We're about ready to sing some songs of Jesus and how he's going to take us and become perfect beings one day. And it's going to be good. It's going to be just like every other Sunday we come back and do two songs. But nothing will change any different unless you make the change today. Nothing is going to change. We're going to get up. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to clap. Yay, Jesus. Unless you make a change decide I want to be restored. I want to be different. I want to take my sin and make it a glory for God. I want to use all my negative for the goodness of God so that other people can see it and be healed. Do you believe that today? Hey, before I close, I need to make sure that you guys see this. Does anybody have a green sheet? Hold up your green sheet. At the bottom of your green sheet, we've been praying since Tuesday, about six or eight or 12 of us. I don't remember how many people were there. We've been praying. At the bottom of your green sheet, we decided that if you are interested to have someone walk with you or talk with you about whatever issue you're having, family issues, relational issues, uh, freedom, you want to be free from an addiction or something, write your name down, how to contact you. And in the back, there's these two baskets that people were filling up in the first service. They've got these cute little fake lights in them. Crinkle them up if you don't want anybody to see and throw them in the basket, and a couple of us will call you. And if all four or 500 of you sign up, we will take till Christmas to meet with every one of you. It's that important to us as a church that you have someone to walk with you. Do you believe that? I'm sorry. We're passionate about this. We don't want anybody to be stuck on an island by themselves. Let's just bow our heads. Father, we come again to another close. Will anybody change for you? Anybody? Father, here we come again. A Sunday's over. change for you if there's someone here that needs a life start in the relationship process in the restoration process of putting Jesus first for the first time that's you today make the step God's calling you across the line to become a saved child of God if you're here today and you need salvation please say this prayer with me Father forgive me come into my heart Come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior. The Bible says that you died and rose again, and I'm going to believe that. Holy Spirit, fill me up and teach me how to live a life for you. 
Lord, restore me from my old ways into your ways. Father, give us a heart to change. Let's sing a song.